0: Hey, Rockheads, put that thing away and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 564 with guest Renee Schulte, recorded live Tuesday, May 18, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows Forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service online at www.telerik.com and by Grape City Data Dynamics, makers of activereports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web application. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And now, the man who's a who's who at Julio's Hula Hut, Carl Franklin.
1: Thank you very much, and welcome back to Dinehead Rocks. It's Carl and Richard here. What's up, buddy? Ah, i got new gadgets. I finally wore
2: out another Plantronics headset. It's only like my second one in 12 or 15 years, so I got the latest and greatest, the Nuvi, which has uh, got connectors both for my phone system and for my PC so that I can use a wireless headset on Skype as well. So, you know, I'm gadgeting out.
1: Awesome. I, I, I do too. my thing. I, too, have a new microphone. I uh, got a, oh, really?
2: Well, that's not, a big deal, sir.
1: It's just that, you know, the old ones wear out after a while. and Yeah, they do. They get dusty and whatever. And so they get the, a little
2: flat. The, 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 the diaphragm collapses.
1: I got a new Audio-Technica 4040, which is just a great microphone. And we use it in the studio for singing, too. It's probably overkill for and Rocks. But anyway, hey, let's get into Better Know Framework. All right. So, you know, I've been talking about Silverlight namespaces and classes on Better Known Framework and WPF and and uh Windows Phone also. So yeah. So the Windows Phone API uh pre-release documentation subject to change in future releases, so please, you know, don't take this as gospel, but especially if it's an older show. But, you know, do you remember when we were talking to uh Daniel Egan? Yeah. In Vegas and I, I asked the question, so how's the phone?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good question.
1: Yeah, because it is a phone, right? I mean, that's kind of an important function. So in the Microsoft.phone.tasks namespace, right, all the stuff that you can do uh, on the phone, not just with the phone part, but other things too. Um, this is all the stuff, like camera capture task. Allows okay. an application to launch the camera application. Use this to allow the fo- uh, users to take a photo from your application. And uh, it doesn't give you real-time access to the video camera. Like uh, Renee and I were just talking before we started recording how that would be very cool. But no, it just allows you to take a picture. Or right. um, uh, how about phone call task? Allows an application to launch the phone application. Use this to allow users to make a phone call from your app. So, you and know. These all you, seem
2: like very, uh, macro kind of statements. You're not manipulating yeah. the phone directly. You're, you're calling to a higher level API.
1: Yeah, exactly. Web browser task allows an application to launch the web browser. So, but you've, you know, you've been texting somebody or chatting and all of a sudden somebody will type a phone number and it'll have a URL under, like it'll underline. And you click right. on it and your phone will ask you if you want to call that number. So. That's the kind of stuff that you can do just whenever there's a phone number or a website or you want to take a picture. Media Player Launcher allows an application to launch the media player. There's some email stuff here, too. Uh, Email Address Chooser Task allows an application to launch the Contacts app to obtain the email address of a contact selected by the user. Email Compose Task allows an application to launch the email app with a new message displayed. Email result represents an email address returned from a call to the show method of email address chooser task. So, and there's other stuff too marketplace launcher, um, photo chooser. So, all that stuff. All good stuff. SMS compose task. There's no. No description of what that does, but I can pretty much figure it
2: out. (laughs) Yeah, so making a text message, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Search task. Okay, who's talking to us? Yeah, I got a good one here from France. Hello, Carl and Richard. First of all, thanks so much for every single show. It is really, really helpful to see here, actually, that we are all facing the same problems all over the world in software development. I just want to encourage you from France, Paris to be precise, for the shows of the road trip that are coming. So this was before the road trip had really taken off. You have made my days go by fast, but as you can guess, I'm not a native English speaker. Somehow, thanks to you, I've deeply improved my English. Wow. Which is disturbing to me, really. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know that our English is all that good. It's not exemplary, let's say that. Okay. That word I hope might one have been, day to but... see you guys in action at a session or a live show. Keep up the good work and some French words to end. And the French words are bon courage les gars, which actually means good luck. Uh, best regards. Junod Dufour from Paris, France. And Junod, we will ship you out a mug. So thanks so much for the great email. And if you'd like a mug, send us an email. .net
1: rocks at franklins.net. And now, Richard, it is my great, uh, great pleasure to introduce a man whose software I used on the, uh, every stop of the road trip, uh, Renee Schulte. Renee is a .NET Silverlight developer and Microsoft Silverlight MVP, passionate about real-time computer graphics, physics, AI, and algorithms. He loves C-sharp, shaders, augmented reality, and computer vision. He started the SLAR Toolkit, the Writable Bitmap EX, and the Matrix 3D EX Silverlight open source projects. And he has a Silverlight website powered by real-time soft body physics. He is also a regular author for Microsoft's Coding for Fun. Contact information can be found on his Silverlight website, his blog, or via Twitter. And uh, we'll provide those links on the main page. Welcome, Renee.
3: Hi, Richard, and hi, call.
1: Welcome to the show. So, yes, as, as it turns out, I was um, putting together an, a really cool demo set for my talk, and I was just wanting to find the best demos I could for Silverlight 4. And um, up on Silverlight.net, I stumbled across a few cool webcam apps and all that stuff, but yours really stuck out as, as uh, something that's very special. Uh, the Silverlight Augmented Reality Toolkit. Why don't you just give us a real brief description of what augmented reality is and then, um, you know, and then what your library does.
3: Okay. So, the SLAR Toolkit, as I call it, or SLAR Toolkit, uh, is a Silverlight open source library to make augmented reality applications with Silverlight. So, what's Augmented reality. Um, augmented reality, as the name implies, um, takes the real world and uh, augments it with virtual objects. So basically, you film a scene with, with a webcam or uh, on a mobile device with the camera. and The, the algorithms uh, track a so-called marker that's basically... Um, a black rectangle printed on a page or something else and this marker is tracked and the, the physical position and the the rotation is calculated of the marker and this information can be used to uh, um, augment reality with a virtual object so that's the basic concept of augmented reality
1: do you now the what I mentioned on, on the road trip was any time you watch a football game, you they'll lay down the line of scrimmage over the field in the right perspective. Second. And as the ref walks over the yellow line, his shoes don't get yellow.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, it's magic. <laughs> yeah.
1: What's going on there? And uh, I've also heard of um videos where computers are, you know, you, you change the, the design that's on somebody's t-shirt, for example. Have you ever done that? Have you messed around with printing up a t-shirt that has the marker on it and then just walking around?
3: I should try it. Uh, <laughs> I just came across a video that uh, shows a t-shirt. Yeah, it's, it's from a Swedish magazine. They sold a t-shirt and there was a marker printed on it. and You could rock there is a paper with a uh, virtual hand that comes from your T-shirt, you know, that comes directly from your chest. Some creepy zombie hand and it plays the game with you. <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh, that's
1: <laughs> awesome. Rock, yeah, paper, that's, scissors that's with a creepy zombie hand. <laughs> yeah,
3: <that's, laughs> i got to find that
1: video. That sounds hilarious.
3: Uh, yeah, I can send you the link if you like.
2: It's yeah, really definitely.
3: cool. Yeah. And, and you can do such applications with uh, Slot Toolkit. That's possible. Um it was made actually it was made with the Flash toolkit, with the Flaw toolkit, but you can do such things with Silverlight now. Um with my library, the slot toolkit. Um it's based on the established AR toolkit. It's an um, augmented reality library for the desktop. It's been around for I think ten years now. And that's the the base of a slot toolkit. So I ported it and made it a bit easier for the developer to, to use it on to make augmented reality applications.
1: And before you can get to augmented reality, and by the way, let me just describe what your uh, demo online does. The demo, um, you, you print out a PDF file that, as Renee says, has this black square with uh, squarish letters, S-L-A-R, in the middle of it. And you hold it up in front of the webcam, and it attaches, the first thing it attaches is a puzzle piece. And you can move the paper backwards and forwards and tilt it and skew it. And the puzzle piece will tilt, skew, and rotate with the marker. Um, and, and then you can pick a video. So you get the classic bear video. <laughs> and the bear is like fishing in the woods, you know, and you hear it. But I love the fact that you can tilt it forward, you know. And the video just stretches to fit the paper. It's like video on a piece of paper. But the, the coolest demo is the text box because you know you you, it, you, you pl- place a text box right over your paper and then you can actually use the text box like you can type text into it no matter what three-dimensional skew the text box is at you still see the text and that's very cool but uh, before you can do any of that you really need to tackle the whole 3d and silverlight problem how'd you do that
3: what you described is uses native um, Silverlight elements, you know, that are built in with the framework, UI elements, like the text box or any UI element you can imagine. Um, And these UI elements have a projection property. This was introduced with Silverlight 3. And you can use this to transform the object virtually, of course. It's called 2.5D transformation. It's not real 3D, it's 2.5D, you know? Okay. It's it's a bit weird, but it's called 2.5D because you have two-dimensional objects, but you transform them in a 3D room or in a 3D space. That's why it's called 2.5D. So this uses the projection property, and the projection property could be assigned with an instance of a plane projection or a matrix 3D projection. So, and there's the matrix 3D projection, which uses a matrix 3D struct. And this is a real, uh, let's say, there's not much functionality built into the Silverlight API for these matrix 3D. You just have the struct, and nothing more. But you need the information from the slot toolkit has to be transformed in some way. So the UI ele- element is aligned to the, you know, to the marker that you move. Um, that's why I built a, a small library. It's called matrix 3DX, which helps you. It makes it easier to do such tasks. It's, it's, it's actually a byproduct from Slot Toolkit. You know, I started with Slot Toolkit and realized, oh, there's no much functionality for matrix 3D stuff in Silverlight. And I uh, had to wrote, uh, write some methods and, and helper methods. So I thought it might be useful for others too, and I put them in a separate library, which
1: is also open source on Codeplex. So that sort of uh, finishes up the uh, whatever's necessary for doing 3D and Silverlight. If you would you say it that way, sort of the last
0: mile.
3: If you want to do some more advanced. Two and a half T projections, you know. Uh, For simple tasks, you can use the plane projection, which a lot of people use. There are a lot of blog posts out there which use the plane projection. But if you want to do some more advanced tasks, uh, the Matrix 3D is the right way, and the Matrix 3DX um, library helps you. Uh, There are some extension and helper methods that get you started very quickly. So, yeah, it helps you. But
1: It's not real 3D?
3: It's it's just two and a half D. You have these yeah. uh, two two-dimensional the, um, two light UI elements which are transformed uh, in the space, and this is two and a half D actually.
2: Yeah, the illusion, and Carl did this really well during the demo, is that he would he tip the the video at an angle and so you, you'd see it sort of skew itself back but then he'd push it towards the uh the camera as well and there's a frame around the outside edge of the window there and was, that frame seems to hold still and the video comes out yeah, of the
1: frame it pops out of the frame <laughs>
2: yeah and it did that there's even points where the puzzle piece would sort of poke out the other outside edge of the frame it's brilliant but to me that the the 3d trick was that Frame staying still, and the graphic appearing to move back uh, in front of and behind the frame.
3: That uh, it, it, you can do r- uh, great 3D um, tricks with it, with the Solite uh, 3D capabilities, you know. But if you want to do real 3D with Solite, um, you should check out the, the Baller library. If uh, I don't, don't know if you heard it before, it's from what's Inon, it called, the Baller. There. Baldur, B A L D E R. There's actually another demo for Slot Toolkit that uses the Baldur um, framework or library. It's a it's a real 3D library for Silverlight.
2: Oh, I see, and I, I get the idea of the two and a half D versus 3D. That you I mean you're working with a two dimensional object and it's really an illusion of 3D. Yeah. What couldn't you do like? I mean, obviously, the one thing that you couldn't do was flip the page with the with the the graphic over because the moment the camera can't see the box, it would disappear.
1: Well, I think the uh, the the acid test, Renee, if correct me if I'm wrong, is is spinning a cube.
3: If real real 3D objects are not possible with civil uh, light now, but if you use the Balder library, you can do such stuff. Um, I actually have a um, a screenshot on the slot Toolkit project page. Uh, by the way, it's, it's S-L-A-R-Toolkit.codeplex.com. And I have a screenshot there that shows uh, a, a, um, a teapot. No? Uh, the All so right. called Utah Teapot. Utah Teapot. And that screenshot is made with slot Toolkit in combination with the Balder engine, the 3D engine.
1: Right, I'm looking at the Balder engine right now, and there's a sample browser in Silverlight, and the first thing it does is it spins a teapot. And the teapot has a metallic, you know, copper surface on it, and it's
3: its amazing, I think.
1: really is.
2: And so, I mean, the big thing here with Balder is that those are 3D objects you're playing with now.
3: That's right. It's not a
2: 2D That's right. object, that has got a 3D projection on it. It is a 3D object. It's got height and, and width and depth, and you can really turn it around.
3: Yep, yep. So... But you said a cube, a cube is basically possible with a uh, silver light built in functionality. You just use, let's say, uh, six images, you know, for the faces of the cube. Yeah. Six faces. You can use uh, six images or six text boxes or something like this. And you have a, a cube with silver light built in functionality. But when it comes to more advanced object like a teapot or whatever, you know, there's no built in functionality. So. You gotta use a library like Baldur. Baldur is really great. Uh, it's made by a guy from Norway called uh, Einar Inge Britson or something. And he's really cool. I um, chatted a lot with him when I made a demo for slot 2 and he's working really hard on this library. Um, it's, it's promising, I think. There could be made uh, 3D games in the future, I think. It's really cool.
2: I don't want to spoil the fun all of this, but where do we see this kind of 3D and perceived stuff going in regular app development? Are we, is there a logical 3D interface to be created here that's actually more efficient?
3: I, I don't know any real 3D interface. There are some, um, efforts made by various companies, but, uh, I haven't seen a real user interface for, let's say, business application that's 3D. That's more for games and fun stuff, you know. Yeah. But augment, when you, when you, um, see augmented reality, I, I saw a demo that was made by Lego, you know, this, this toy company, Lego with the blocks. Yes. Lego blocks, yeah. Um, they made a terminal that is placed inside uh, toy stores. And it has a camera and a monitor, and you hold that Lego box in front of the camera, and it detects the Lego box and projects the virtual model of the, of the built uh, Lego model, what's inside the box, so you know how it looks when you build it. And that is also made with augmented reality. That's a pretty cool... Demo, I think. Oh, and another another demo I saw that's made by United States Postal Service.
1: Yep, I saw this too.
3: That that's really awesome. That's it's a really good usage example. I
1: Basically, think. what you you do is you hold up an item, and it determines what size box you need based on the item. Really,
2: you're holding up a box to a ca- or an object to a camera,
1: and it's saying you need this kind of box. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really magic. Impressive it actually puts the thing in the box to see if it sticks out the edges. Like, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that sounds imminently practical. Yeah, it certainly could be. I mean, and augmented reality is, is um, a, a really cool idea for, you know, anytime you can think of overlaying graphics or text on video and keeping those graphics or text in perspective with what's in the video and with the elements in the video. So if the camera angle changes your graphics change perspective. And also if items in the video change, you know, in, in the, you know, multiple items in the things actors in the video or whatever, move around and change perspective, those things will stay with them as well. You can, you can, um, you know, you know, the, the whole idea of like when you're playing, uh, an Xbox game, um, you know, like a first person shooter or something and you, you see an, uh, You you see something in the distance and there's little meta information that surrounds it, you know, and it's not a really good analogy. But if that were real life where you're actually seeing things in a video like a military operation, for example, you're seeing things on the field, you have metadata around that that sort of hovers near it or, you know, when you move something over it. We'll give you more. Well, this information.
2: is, this is classic uh, augmented reality ideas, right? Yeah. I, 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 there's an app on the iPhone with the 3GS where given that it knows your GPS location and it knows which way you're facing, it can tell you what building
1: you're looking at. How about the, how about the, the stars one where you <laughs> you hold up your iPod to the sky and based on your position and in the world and the time, It knows where the, what stars are over you. And based on the accelerometer, it knows what you're looking at. So it gives you a view and overlays information about those stars just by holding your iPhone up to the sky. Or maybe it's not the iPhone. It it works on other, I can't remember what it's called. Have you seen that one, Renee?
3: Oh, I haven't seen this, but. Outlines um, the constellations. as you talk about uh, mobile devices um, that's where augmented reality is really stunning i think because you have this uh, little camera on the back of the phone or on the mobile device and and the, the display on front so you actually look through it you know you have like an extended eye or something it's it's pretty cool and i hope that the windows phone will uh, someday provide an api for real-time camera access, so I can provide a version of Slot Toolkit for it. You know, the the Windows Phone API is, or the Windows the the Windows Phone platform is Silverlight, and so Slot Toolkit would be a perfect fit for it. And you can do yeah it this really- idea
2: of a transparent overlay on reality, so you can add additional information. But the problem is, I don't want to carry the phone around. I want this in my glasses. You know, yeah. I, I want to look at somebody and it tells me what their name is.
1: You want to embed it embedded in your eyes is what you want. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I want augmented reality yeah. all the time. All the time.
3: Yeah, so, so like a board, you know, from Star Trek.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, I think there's, um, who am I thinking of? William Gibson, who's the guy who invented the word cyberspace, has this character they call the gargoyle who's constantly connected to the Internet, wired for sound and, and audio and this whole augmented reality thing, and is you know, on the off chance that he can sell something he sees. I'd like
1: one of those, please.
3: We need it in the contact lens. <laughs> so you put it on. Yeah.
1: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem, but what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com slash Silverlight. And, hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik.
2: Renee, when did you – we never talked to you about using the SLAR toolkit as part of the demo and events. When did you figure out that we were doing it? Because I think you pinged us about it, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I think it's. You know, I'm. I'm a frequent Twitter user, and I have some search columns in the in the Twitter client I use that um uh, that look for some certain search terms like slot Hooker, and I think Carl Twitter something that he used it on the on the road trip, or, or someone else that attended the road trip. Um. Wrote that he saw Slar Toolkit and was quite impressed or something. So that's how I knew that you show it in the, in the .NET Rocks road trip. Um, I asked you what you're doing and so, and, and you invited me for an interview here. And that's really great and thank you.
2: Well, and we, Carl closed the show essentially with the Slar Toolkit. It was his last demo.
1: Yep. Brought the house down.
3: That's great, thanks. Uh, I recently saw another demo that was made with Slot Toolkit. Um, I saw it today, I think. It was made by the ESRI guys, you know. They have this ArcGIS um, framework or product. It's a GIS uh, framework for Silverlight or in, in user control. And they use Slot Toolkit to make an application where they overlay the marker with a map that has certain levels. It's a, it was a pretty cool demo. And hmm. I just saw it today. They made it with Slot Toolkit. I didn't know about it. And it just wrote a blog post or something. And I saw that some guys Twittered it. And <laughs> uh, that's a cool demo. Which
2: is, Which is interesting because ESRI. Actually provided the space for the event in Riverside, California. So they were sort of a participant in the road trip.
3: That's cool.
1: So where do you uh, have a, uh, do you have a URL for this? Uh,
3: yeah, yeah. I have a URL. I used to sh- shrinkstore.com and it's shrinkstore.com slash one D U G, one Doug. One duck,
1: but with G. One D U G. I'm checking with out the
2: video the right road now. Road wow, this has just been published. I wonder if this guy was at the road trip stop. Saw the toolkit that way.
3: Yeah, that's a pretty impressive. That was demo, yesterday.
2: Arm. Yeah. It's completely huh. current. Neat.
1: So he's overlaying a map on, on the, uh, paper. Huh. Very cool. Yeah, that's huh. amazing. That <laughs> is cool. <laughs> that's very cool. And I I,
2: I remember I mean I think the big challenge with this whole thing is you ran into this, Carl, is the qual the how oh. good is the camera and how good is the lighting for the camera.
1: Yeah, so that it wasn't just the lighting, but it was the paper. The the printout, the first printout that I did, oh my god, look, he's doing a projection. <laughs> that's very That's insane. How's he doing that? How's he doing that? <laughs> He's got multiple layers in 3D that extrude off the off the paper.
3: Yeah. How? How? Yeah. Uh, you know, you you kit provides the the information where the marker is in the space. Oh, and
1: uh, from there awesome. you, from there you have control. So, oh, okay.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, like I said, you could you could literally have an arm come out of the paper and uh, you know do rock paper scissors. <laughs>
3: <laughs> with, with a zombie hand, you know? Zombie yeah, yeah, with a zombie cool hand.
1: <laughs> all right. So what I was saying was the the first paper that I printed out was in Mountain View, and I just did it at the Holiday Inn on their printer, whatever it was, and it was, you know, an inkjet printer, and it wasn't all that black or dark. And um And I had trouble, like, with the image sticking to the marker during my demos, and I attributed it to, you know, light or glare or whatever, but then in Atlanta... Um, I asked one of the guys to print out. I gave him the PDF, and I said, "Here, print this out." And it was nice, really dark, really black, and uh, and and that worked perfectly. So I think the if you have like a, a low quality printout, you're gonna find that it's gonna jump around a bit.
3: Um, the the most important catch is you you should try to get. The highest contrast you can yeah. do, you know. Yeah. Um, it's also the lightning is also important. Yeah. If you have a bright light in the background, the camera actually, basically, a webcam is not as good, such a, such a human eye, you know. Right. And the the contrast is bad, so the marker text A good print and good lightning are essential.
2: Wow. Yeah, it definitely makes a difference. If we were going to do this as part of a of a bigger demonstration, you'd want to have it uh you know, really great lighting and good cameras and make
1: sure the contrasts are really sharp. Well, let's talk about some of your other interests. i mean, you you're obviously big into the into physics and translating that into software. What are some of the other cool things that you've done before before augmented reality?
3: Yeah, I I made uh, my my page. It's rennie-schulte.info. It's a a 100% Silverlight page. And it was made with Silverlight 2. And I actually wrote a soft body physics engine for it. You know, you can drag around the ball, the mouse, and throw it around. Oh, wow. it's, It's a soft body, you know. It moves physically correct.
2: So what does it mean to be a soft body?
3: A soft body is like a human body, you know, a soft body. Uh, the opposite is a rigid body, like a hard cube or something. That's not deformable. A soft body is deformable. Right. So, if you, so when
2: you bounce you know, the ball, the ball actually flattens on the, on the impact?
3: That's right. That, that's a soft body. Um, that uh, use some physical concepts, um Actually, you get some equations. Uh, they are called ordinary, ordinary differential equation, and these have to be solved with uh, with some mathematical solver. You know, um, there's a lot of work to do <laughs> if you want to do such stuff.
1: That's very cool. And it, by the way, it's Rene Dash Schulte. Info S C H U L T E done info, just oh, in case you're yeah. online and looking. But uh, I like how you have the the informational box in the middle that sort of bounces around like it's being held up on uh, rubber bands or something.
3: Yeah. It's very that's cool. The, that's the concept, you know. You have these dots that make up a body, some other, uh, 2D dots, and these are connected with springs and that's how you make a soft body, basically. Plus some other, um, forces. Yeah, actually a, a force equation. And that has to be solved. Dynamically. <laughs> yeah, that's some of the stuff I do, or I do a lot with shaders, you know, pixel shaders. Yeah. For silver light. Yeah, all the computer graphics stuff. And I also have another open source project. It's called Writable Bitmap X. Um, Silverlight has the Writable Bitmap, as Uh you might know. And it's a bitmap API. And it doesn't have much functionality built in. And that's what the Writable Bitmap X is for, you know. I have some extension methods that make it really easy and to use the Writable Bitmap with some extension methods like scale or draw or blitz, you know, you can uh, draw lines into the writable bitmap with this library and make some other stuff. Um, wow. I'm doing a lot of computer graphics stuff. That's my thing.
2: <laughs> so how do you pay the bills, Rene? Does this make any money?
3: <laughs> no, that's uh, that's some side project, you know. I work as a full-time developer developer in Dresden, Germany for a company called Schlotmage, and we're doing, you know, the business applications for customers in the energy market. That's uh, how I make my money. <laughs> the other stuff I do, is just uh, my side projects.
1: So where'd you get the idea to turn your face into a monkey? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I know what you're talking about, my um, Coding for Fun article, the the face detection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was just fun. I found an image of a monkey and, you know, just put it on. Uh. Um, uh, (laughs) Make it sound so easy. (laughs) Um, It's uh, what you describe as part of a Coding for Fun article I wrote. This coding for fun article shows how to make a simple face detection application with Silverlight and the webcam. Um, it basically uses the, the so-called uh, the skin color. You know, it detects the skin color and searches for a certain size region, and then I have the coordinates of you know, of the face. And then you can overlay the face with an image or make th- some stupid stuff, you know. <laughs> and I just overlaid it with a monkey image.
1: I wouldn't know you how know, to this, begin. You this
2: opens up a whole new way to make video conferencing interesting, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Especially if you're talking yeah. to Mark Miller.
2: <laughs> you got yeah, four or five people all in a video conference, and you just overlay whatever faces you want on them. <laughs> <laughs> so... How does the facial recognition algorithm
1: work? Like, yeah, that I was, doesn't
2: seem like a simple thing.
1: I was going to ask. I wouldn't know how to begin going about When you were talking about, you know, detect the skin color and then regions, And I'm trying to think in my mind how I would go about that. I have no idea where to begin.
3: Okay. So you have the Light 4 webcam, and I capture each frame from the webcam. So this frame is basically a writable bitmap, you know, some pixels, pixel information, so color information, nothing else. Um, then the first step is to filter for skin color. And I use a different color model for this, not RGB. I use um CR is it called, you know, I, I transform it into a different color model, so it's easier to uh, filter for skin color because you have a wide range of skin color in the whole world, and it's essential that you filter all the skin color that's out there. So this is the first step, and then you get a black and white image that where the white pixels are marking the skin that was found in the image. So then the next step is to reduce the noise that comes in. So there's um, an image processing operator called erosion that is used. It drinks the pixels, so only big pixels stay, and small um, are going to be removed. So this Mm -hmm. reduces the noise, the small white pixels. So the next step, you know, that um, it shrinks, do this and then the next step it enlarges a bit the shrink pixel and this is called this uses an, an operator it's called dilation you know it looks for a pixel and sees um, if one of its neighbors is white this pixel is also set to white that's so, all so you get you get a nice segment of uh, and face or a, a big skin. This is what is in the image. I see. And then you have to segment this part. And then I look, or the algorithm looks for a certain size white reach in the image. And this is detected as the face. And I have, then I have the coordinates of the skin of, or of the face. And the center and the, the width and the heat. This information could then be used. That's so a really basic and simple approach
1: for face detection. So the idea, and let me try to summarize, is the idea that you want to sort of posterize, or um, I guess that's the term for it. Just make all all of the pixels that are in the face one color. So, and and I don't mean that you want to show that, but you want to, you know, create something that you can analyze first. And is that is that the idea that you you want to essentially High contrast and get a simplified shape that yes. you can easily you can, analyze.
3: The the basic concept is filter for skin color, you know.
1: Mm. And if
3: you filter the skin color, only white pixels or, or only pixels stay where the skin was detected, mm. and the rest is getting black. So then you have this information. And it, as you said, this image isn't displayed. It's just used to get the position of the face. Right. And um, you can do some stuff then with this information.
1: And, and I imagine that the, th- there has to be a threshold, right? There has to be a threshold at which a pixel is maybe a face pixel, but it's too dark. And d- is that something that you have to tweak based on the, the, do you look at the white balance, like the lightest pixel in the, uh, in the image? Do you have to find that first to sort of, Determine where how much light or is or isn't in the photo.
3: No, oh, I have a certain color range. You know, each pixel, each pixel is transformed into another color space. The, the um, usual color space is RGB. Yeah. And this is not very good to detect the skin color. Mm. But there are also some other color spaces out there, like HSV or mm. HSB, as some call it. Um, Hue, saturation use, yes, yes another color space. I so I transform each Brains. pixel into a better color space, which makes it easier to, to check the to check uh, for skin color. A min and max threshold is actually used you know mm. for each for each uh, color component. Um, this is all described in the coding for fun optical details. Um, I can give you the link if you like. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, It's, it's shrinkstarcom slash 1-D-U-J. Very cool. Uh, I described every step um, that is used in this article.
2: So it looks like this facial recognition is sort of limited to a head-on look. You, you couldn't actually turn your head and have the, the overlay move with it.
3: If you turn your head, uh, we, we won't detect any uh, face color and this stuff. Right. It's just it's, it's just a simple approach, you know.
2: Yeah, no kidding. But I mean, the bottom line is you you could run a video here and have it overlay a face on it.
3: Yeah, of course that's possible. Um, there are some more advanced algorithms out there, like um, Viola Jones algorithm. That's an algorithm that commonly used for face detection or face recognition systems mm-hmm. but, but it's uh, really uh, hard and yeah it's a really hard algorithm I, mean, I don't know if this works in real time you know so I tried a, a, another approach just to detect skin color and use this that, that was the idea to make a simple uh, silver light real-time face detection application.
2: Well, because the tricky bit here is eliminating all the background stuff. So, I mean, you're just going after what are fairly unique colors.
3: the, the you know, the, the trick is to transform each pixel into another color space and right. use a certain, a certain range of min and max values, minimum, maximum values to filter the skin out. The trick is to transform it to another color space. So you have a wide range of uh, of skin color that is detected. You know, I tested yeah. it with a lot of images. Not only my face from the webcam, I tested also a lot of images from uh, different people from the world. Um, it works also with uh, you know darker skin color, and yeah, with the default uh, settings. But the application also has some spiders where you can change these thresholds.
2: Yeah, no, it's a very interesting problem, and, a, and an interesting way to go at it. But yeah, and then the whole other element here would be, what if we did two cameras so we could get a three D interpretation of a face and map movements? And because you had nothing better to do, I, I'm envisioning a a, a very Kurtz Wheelian uh, future where. You know, you're literally looking at a webcam of somebody, but you've overlaid a, a, a texture-mapped face onto them that's speaking when they're speaking and so on.
3: That's uh, markerless tracking, what you described, I think.
2: Yeah. That,
3: that, that's the concept that you, they use uh, for movies, such like Avatar.
2: Right, yeah. track, right.
3: Where to track the faces of the actors and overlay this with the huge blue um, aliens, you know. Um do you like the this, did you like Avatar? Yeah, Avatar was cool. I, I loved it. Um I, it, it was basically the first uh, movie I saw with three D glasses. And mm. it, it was it was really impressive.
1: Wow. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Well um,
3: I li- I liked all these particles, you know, there were some particles flying around where they I'm um, um, blown up this tree and yeah. a lot of smoke and there were all these small, tiny particles flying around and this was really cool with the 3D glasses on. Mm.
1: You also did the uh, ye old camera pixel shader and that is really, I mean, pixel shaders are something we, I don't know if we've talked about them uh in general on .NET Rocks all that much, but Tell us what a pixel shader is and then how you made this old film look.
3: Um, a pixel shader is a, a tiny program, a small program, which is applied to each pixel when the, the image is processed by the rendering API. So this, this concept of shaders comes from the GPUs. It was introduced... 10 years ago, with DirectX 8.1, I think, and they had vertex and pixel shaders. And a pixel shader, as I said, is or a shader in general is a small kernel function. It's a small program, and it gets a certain input. This, this uh, function gets a certain input. That's a pixel. That's the color value of a pixel. And then you can do some stuff with this information and return the new color of the pixel. And this program is applied to each pixel of an image, or in Silverlight, you can apply it to every UI element you want. You know, you can also use a text block or a text box or a video and apply a pixel shader to it in Silverlight. So the, uh, the old pixel shader <laughs> is uh, a shader I wrote that takes the color information, which is passed as par- parameter and converts it to gray, you know, it's grayscale. And then it's toned like with a sepia tone, you know, like you know from the old uh, photos and right. you might have seen, or old movies where there's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a brown-yellow tone. And then I do some other stuff like add some scratches and some noise. And this this was the real tricky part, you know, to get some noise into this because you have you can't do much computations with pixel shaders mm. model 2 um, silverlight supports pixel shader model 2 this has a limit of 64 instructions you know you can just do 64 instructions inside such a pixel shader yeah. because it's executed on the cpu and silverlight and that's the limit um so it was really tricky to get some random noise into this to make the scratches and the noise to, so it looks like an old movie. And the, I used a, a texture on image, which I produce, which is way larger than the image you see. And every frame I pass some random coordinates to the shader. And the shader samples, you know, it looks up in the random texture. And this is random enough to make the trick of noise. Wow, it's all about cheating, you know? <laughs>
1: right? No, sure. Perceptions, scratches, all that. The edge. I love the the dark edges around that that pulse around the edges. It's just just That's, amazing. that's Just
3: a simple effect. You you just need some random randomness, and you have a, a pixel, a pixel color, and to to make the flickering, you use a, a random multiplier and multiply the pixel color with a random value, each frame, and then it flickers. And uh, the vignette, you know, it's getting darker to the edges. This is made uh, just computing the the, um, the distance from the sample of the image. So you one. can make it darker to the edges. Okay.
1: Well, Renee, this this has been a an enlightening conversation, and you're doing some incredible work in making Silverlight really, really, really fun <laughs> for the rest of us. Uh, and I hope you never stop. We we should set up a uh, pay Renee Schulte PayPal button or something like that to uh, make sure that you you keep uh keep us entertained for a long time to come.
3: Okay, I'm open for donations. <laughs> All right,
1: good. I'll send okay. mine right now. Thank you very much for spending this hour with us. It's been excellent.
3: Yeah. I, I have just one link I'd like to, uh, to get out there. Sure. Is it possible?
1: Yeah. What is yeah. it?
3: Um, you know, I, uh, yesterday I published a beginner's guide for Slot Toolkit because I got similar basic questions on how to get started with Silver Live or Visual Studio There were a lot of people out there that are basically also beginners with Silverlight and Visual Studio. And that's why I wrote a a beginner's guide and published it on the Slot Toolkit page, you know. And if you like to do Slot Toolkit applications, you should read this beginner's guide. It's a step-by-step tutorial that shows how to implement the simplest possible Silverlight augmented reality application. Okay. At the end, you at the end you will have a text a text box. The text box is pretty uh, pretty easy to to use, but when it comes to augmented, re, augmented reality, like Carl mentioned, it's it's really amazing. You know, you can transform this text block around and type into it while you move it. Um, this beginner's guide shows how to do this. It's it's pretty basic. Um,
1: What's the URL?
3: I, the URL is um it's. S-L-A-R-Toolkit.CodePlex.com. This is the project site for small Toolkit. And there you find, like on every CodePlex site, the documentation link on the top. And there you will see a beginner's guide. Um, this will get you started if you like to do some augmented reality applications with solar
1: Give me one second, I'll shrink it. All right, it's at shrinkster.com, one d u m. Alright, and I've also uh, shrinksterized this at one D U M Shrinkster.com slash one davidumbrellamary Mary. Well, excellent stuff. Thank you, Renee. Thanks again.
3: Thank you guys for inviting me. It was a pleasure to be on
1: the show. Well, it was a pleasure to have you. And we'll see you next time on dot net rocks.